empathetic, business acumen, flexibility, storytelling, open source or transparency, and resilience. That profile of a modern people leader is vastly different from a, a lot of what we see out there. So the question is, how do HR leaders start to have that conversation and take intelligent risk, have the courage to even try to become that? Welcome to the Disrupted Workforce Podcast, where we focus on the intersection of the human experience, AI, and the future of work. Why? Because we are living through the most digital and disrupted workforce in history. Our mission is to help you prepare, navigate, and thrive. Thank you for caring about your future, for joining us on this journey, and for sharing these insights so we can all grow together. Stay connected by following us wherever you listen and subscribing to our YouTube channel. PDW fans, we are excited to share our amazing guests with you today, Daniel Huerta and Steven Huerta. Yes, they are related. Now, cousins Daniel and Steven are driven by the belief that people are a company's most vital asset, and they share a passion for the future of HR and making work better for everyone. They co-host the Modern People Leader Podcast. It's an excellent podcast. You've got to check it out. And they talk to CHROs and CPOs, that's chief people officers, and other work experts about the evolution of leadership, what's working, what's not, and how they got to where they are. Give us the brass ring, Frodo. Now, before (laughs) dedicating his full-time career to the Modern People Leader, Daniel spent over eight years driving marketing strategies for some of the most influential companies in the field, like Humu and Udacity. Now, outside of work, he's an avid golfer, basketball player, and husband. Can you be an avid husband? I don't know, but Daniel sure does. (laughs) Now, Stephen is an accomplished entrepreneur and former corporate HR executive. He's the co-founder of Workify, an employee feedback platform that was recently acquired for Buku Bucks, as the French say. I actually don't know (laughs) if it was acquired for Buku Bucks, but I just really wanted to say that. Now, prior to that, he spent five years at Goldman Sachs serving as vice president, diversity officer, and director of HR technology. Guys, we love and share your passion for human-centered leadership and podcasting. We're so excited to have you on our show. Welcome to TDW, guys. Thanks for having us. Very cool. We're excited. Love the intro, by the way. That was you hyped us up for sure. <laughs> it was <a> big hype. <laughs> I love that. I feel like I'm about to like run onto the court. <laughs> Let's dive in. We share the belief and that this is the best chance in history, bar none, to make work better for everyone. And HR has a vital role in that. In fact, we're going to talk a lot more about this window for HR. But what are the top three trends that are clear indicators that this is an evolution for HR and this is our chance to make work better? Yeah, I mean, this this question is a little bit difficult, you know, to answer because at this point, I think we've had over 155 published episodes. We've recorded probably closer to like 180, and there are just so many things that we're talking about, but a few that came to mind for me. So number one, it feels like we've been having this conversation about HR getting a seat at the table for years now. And, you know, COVID hits, HR's leaned on more than ever before, and they finally had their shine. And it felt like they were finally getting the recognition that they deserve. Fast forward a couple of years, the economy dips a bit, especially like on the tech side, layoffs happen, RTO mandates go out. And a lot of chief people officers are feeling pretty frustrated. 
Um, it feels like their their opinion isn't valued on the sea, in the sea level. It feels like they're, they're the last ones to speak in the board meeting if they're in the board meeting at all. And sometimes their slide is getting skipped over. So that feels hurtful and disrespectful after you know the past like three or four years pioneering a lot of things related to work. So I know that was a lot of negative, but the positive and one of the trends that we're seeing on the show is that you know we're talking about things like how to get more involved in the board meetings, making sure that you're inserting yourself throughout the, the entire board meeting, not just your section. You know, so that's that's like the biggest thing that that comes to mind, just like HR getting better at navigating their relationships with their peers and really just being able to do a good job. Like it's as simple as that. Like I feel like a lot of HR leaders are frustrated because they care so much and they just want to do right by their employees. Steven, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, a couple of things come up for me just when we we talk about top trends, you know, over over the last few years. The first one is there was a time where HR it it was like closely guarded state secrets like what you did in your talent function what you did for compensation not only was it opaque for your internal employees but you would never ever share your your programs and your policies and your practices with with the broader market you know and and that my, i grew up in the management consulting in the financial services world so maybe it was a little more heightened but there one major trend is you know collaboration and open sourcing of practices that are happening within the people function and i i point that out because that has continued over this period where you know to daniel's point everyone was you know it felt like every company was trying to hire a head of hr during the pandemic because it was like there's so many People issues, you know, the shit was literally hitting the fan like every yeah. few months. Shit was on Things fire. were changing. Oh <laughs> my goodness. It was crazy. It was literally crazy. Crazy enough for Daniel and I to start a podcast to talk about it. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, times have changed a little bit to Daniel's point. You know, there's been this focus on profitability, and that has really, you know, what I'll, I'll use the word hurt some of the progress. I, you know, I think in the end, it will it will make the progress better because, you know, it is right now people are being forced to operate in ways that are hard. And um, mm. and not only that, but the pendulum has swung back. And so a lot of the things that we were working on are no longer priorities. But throughout that, uh, the, throughout the ups and downs, what has stayed constant is this trend of HR increasingly sharing more and more, you know, with the broader community, um, HR practitioners and HR leaders and executives. Like you go into LinkedIn and you see like, here are the 10 things that we do for onboarding. And here, you know, this is our, our, you know, white paper guide. You know, I feel like a guide is the new white paper. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have, have, have caught on to that, but yeah, the, yeah. you know, the fact that these guides and, and white papers are being shared is, is so different to, you know, what was being done 10 years ago. So that, that's a huge trend. Oh, that's really great, you guys. I, and I think it paints a, a picture of what a roller coaster ride it has been for HR these past few years. You know, we spoke to uh, Heather McGowan. We had her on the show. She's a top voice in the future of work. Uh, globally renowned speaker, and she's written a couple great books, The Adaptation Advantage and The Empathy Advantage. 
And her conjecture was that based on all the disruptions that we experienced through the pandemic and that we're continuing to experience now, the the disruptions that Nate and I talk about all day long here on this show and our need to adapt, that HR is actually the MVP of the corporation going forward. So my question to you is, do you see HR more and more in that power seat within the C-suite with resources, budget, and is, is that being fully supported? Is that coming to fruition or are we not there yet? I think that the answer is it depends. I feel like in some organizations, this is happening and in others, it's not. And I think our job on the Modern People Leader is to help the rest of those people leaders catch up. So when I think about the chief people officers that are the MVPs of the organization, I think of the Helen Russells of the world. So we had Helen Russell from Rivian on the show. She's the chief people officer there. Um, She's been there for, I think, three or four years. They've grown from like 1,000 employees to 15,000 employees in that time that she's been there. They've cycled through different leadership teams once or twice since she's been there. She's the only other executive that's remained on the C-level or on the C-suite in that, in that span of time. And uh, she thinks of herself as like her CEO's like number one confidant. Like he goes to her for everything. He goes to her for people stuff, but he also goes to her for any other issues that are coming up in the business. And I think that that's the type of relationship that you need to have with your CEO if uh, you truly want to have that, that seat at the table. I mean, I also think of people like Brandon Samet from, from Zapier. He, he broke down like a framework for how to, how to build bridges with your CEO. So, um, I mean, it's almost like going into a discovery call as a salesperson, like understanding what are their pain points, understanding where, the, where they think you know, the, the organization currently is in regards to that pain point. And then as a people leader, bringing solutions to those pain points and helping bridge the gap. And then when it comes to the solutions, like being able to debate, having like a healthy debate with your CEO on what the right move forward is. And then once the CEO makes a decision as the people leader, being okay with it, but at least you're involved in that process. But that's just what comes to mind for me. me. What do you think, Stephen? Yeah, (laughs) this is the biggest challenge that we hear, you know, the people function is facing. That's what the data tells us. So, you know, we, we, we spent last year, the back half of last year, interviewing. It was a months-long process where we interviewed a dozen or so people leaders that cut across, you know, a ton of different industries. And um, they were essentially um, customer development interviews. So we were interviewing um, these leaders to figure out, like, what are the top problems that, you know, HR functions are dealing with? And this would go into our development of our next product, which we'll be working on and rolling out this year. And as part of that, we went through dozens and dozens of episodes and we looked at, okay, what are the common problems that we keep hearing on the show? And the top problem is, is HR really ready for a seat at the table? And how, mm-hmm. how do we influence that? And I'm paraphrasing. And, and essentially, you know, there are still a lot of, organizations that um, that look at HR in an outdated way. And yeah. I, I wish I had data to support. I, I would argue the vast majority of companies are still looking at HR the wrong way. And as a result, they they are still positioning their HR leader to not <laughs> to not really be a strategic leader, to not really have a valuable seat at the table. Like 
they have a seat at the table in the sense of like, oh, every quarter we have a leadership team meeting and, you know, the HR person comes maybe once or twice a year, you know, the HR leaders invited to the board, the board meetings. And so those things are happening in many cases, in some cases are not, but it, it still doesn't feel like the people leader has been positioned in a way that will, will truly drive the value we know this function can drive. Steven, I've always thought of this as a continuum. And I'm, I'm going to pitch you on this to see if it makes sense. But uh, I've been in uh, HR for a lot of my career. I've been in around HR. I've been in a lot of other business units. And the way I've always seen it in different organizations, big organizations, 100,000 people organizations, 2,000 people organizations, is the continuum starts off on the left with pseudo HR. It's not even really HR. It's like a pretend HR that everybody's pretending about. It's bizarre. And then I see some things like there's a HR that's transactional and more just takes orders kind of. And then you keep moving down the continuum and you get to this HR that's sort of progressive, but isn't strategic and doesn't have a seat at the table. And then all the way down to the right, you see this strategic, progressive, innovative, seat at the table, deeply respected HR. And I honestly think like it would be a cool piece of content if y'all don't already have that to just put that out in front of people and go, where are you guys in this continuum right now? And what do we need to do to move everybody to the right? You know, I I think that that is is spot on. And it's such a simple question. You know, do you feel HR has earned a seat at the table? And it's so hard. You know, Daniel Spursing was like, ah, this is going to be a tough one to answer because it is like absolutely HR has earned a seat at the table. I think that the last few years have proven that if you have a savvy people leader, that will help you create a comparative advantage. I, I think that there's so many examples of that, it's hard to refute. Are there enough capable HR people to have that kind of role? That's a <laughs> yeah. totally different question. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so yeah, I, I, I love that continuum. And I think that you're right. You know, depending on where, um, where you are on that continuum, it's going to be a different reality for the people leader. And, and just to add on to that, so something else that we've noticed over the last couple of years maybe a quarter of our guests, even though they're a chief people officer, a year or two ago were a COO, a CFO, mm-hmm. a CMO coming from other parts of the business. And I think the reason for that is because they're on that end of the continuum that you want them to be, or it's easier to get them there because they've, they've done it in their area of the business. So I just, I just wanted to add that in there. So I guess the advice for, for HR leaders, if they're listening and work outside of HR, like even if you've worked in HR for the last 10 years, maybe try to find a company that's going to put you in a rotational program where you're going to get to work in different parts of the business. If you see an opportunity that's open within, within your company, apply for it. Like all of that experience that you get, whether it's in client success or sales or marketing or finance, anything that you do, that's just going to give you a better perspective and make you a better people leader. So love that. Tell us, guys, what are the characteristics? of a modern people leader, because we're kind of moving around that through this discussion of what is the evolution of that role? What is the maturity curve? So what do they believe and how do they behave in the workplace? Yeah. So, you know, one of the, I'm going to talk a little bit about podcasts. I have found 
as a podcaster, I think it's really important to find a a format um, that works for your you, whatever the message is that you're trying to convey, right? And um, and for us, you know, we were able to find a format pretty quickly that worked, and you know, we leaned on you know rituals and traditions just to kind of give the the audience a reason to keep coming back. And, you know, one of the segments that we put in, and I think, I can't remember if it was Dave Gerhardt. So it, it came from the marketing world, actually. And a lot of what we do comes from the marketing world because that's what, like, Daniel, you know, has, has brought to the Modern People Leader. And so it was like a rapid fire segment and a way to, like, create, you know, excitement. And, and it took us a while to get to what has been a money question for us. And, and the question is, like, how do you define a Modern People Leader? What are the traits and characteristics? And so after getting 100 plus responses, you know, we, we actually have our own data to, to point to what are the, the most important characteristics for a people leader. So this year, you know, we're going to be sharing more and more kind of our, our data versus just sharing the conversations we're having. And, and so, you know, you guys get a sneak peek into some of, some of our hey. findings. Awesome. <clears throat> and so the... And these are in no particular order, but we, we have been able to narrow it down to four common characteristics that we've heard on the show. Empathetic is, is number one, the first on our list. And we put it up there just mainly because we believe that given everything, the journey of the last three years, you know, the, the need to have an empathetic leader that can create you know, a psychologically safe space for people to share feedback and to really get a true understanding of, you know, what is going on at, at the company, it, it, it's, it's absolutely critical. And almost every guest that we've had on has used the word empathetic to describe a modern people leader. You can't be a good people leader if you don't understand your people. And so having that empathy and creating the space to have these understandings is absolutely critical. Flexible is is the next the next characteristic we've heard words like curious adaptable dynamic um but you know flexible is the best way that we have found to put it especially when you know you think about flexibility it's really something that that people crave today right it's what the consumer is looking for they're looking for a flexible company with flexible policies um yeah. you know and so the people leader needs to be flexible cannot be too fixed in their way of thinking and um, and in the programs and policies uh, that they that they have a preference to, the next one is a bit of a uh, surprise for us, but I think it'll resonate with with all of us, and that's storyteller. The modern people leader must be an excellent communicator and and has to have a gift, and that's the important thing: a natural gift for storytelling. You know that doesn't mean that you know a people leader has to be inherently great storyteller. I think you they're we, we can all find our own voice and our way of telling stories, but whether they're communicating to their, the, the people team, they're communicating to key employees, high potential employees, uh, to the board, externally, they know how to bring stories to life. And, you know, we've already talked a lot about number four, and that is business-minded. I won't go into the details there since we've already kind of dug into that, but the, the modern people leader absolutely has to speak the language of the CFO, the COO, the chief product officer, and the CEO. And in order to do that, you have to be business-minded. Those are the four characteristics that we ha- that keep hearing over and over and over on the show. I'll throw in a bonus 
characteristic. And I don't even know if this is a characteristic, but beyond just like, you know, the workplace, I think that the modern people leader has a rich and interesting life outside of work. So I think it was uh, Kara Brennan Alamano from, from Lattice, their CPO. She said that her favorite execs to work with have been those that have actually lived a life outside of work. She said they're musicians, they're ballroom dancers, they're photographers, they're marathon runners, they're former Olympic athletes. It's people that like give a shit about something outside of just the work that they're doing between nine to five. It is a really good list. It's a really, really good list. And the one thing that pops for me that's so interesting is the interplay between empathy and storytelling, because somebody that is really good at empathy is a great listener. They are a great listener. They can drop in, they can make you feel seen and understood, and they're processing that information. And a storyteller is someone who's a great communicator, a great talker. So that interplay of when to listen and when to talk and do both well in two distinctly different ways is a really, really interesting hybrid of you know, communication and uh, relational skills. It's funny that you say that. And as you were speaking, I was sort of processing this data that we've collected over the last few years. And if you think of it from like step one to step four, it's like step one, be empathetic, uh, talk to as many people in the business as possible, go look at the employee feedback. Step two, be business minded. So like put together strategies that are going to help you drive your business outcomes. Step three, uh, try to be flexible. So whatever you decide to do, make sure that you're leaving room for flexibility for your employees. And step four, tell a really damn good story about why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, this is really helpful for, for us, I think, in kind of like crystallizing the, I guess, message of what it means to be a modern people leader and how you can take steps to actually being one. Alex uh, um, brought up the, that those are discrete skills that interestingly aren't highly coveted, weren't highly coveted in the past and were not focused on so an interesting piece of work is to go, not only do you need to focus on these, these need to become your superpowers. Literally, like your human superpowers as a modern people leader are, is this list. <laughs> and, and, and it's not something that you cognitively think about. It's literally a practice. It's a kata. It's a, it's a tai chi. It's a keto. Like it's a practice that you got to really work on. Now, I'm going to offer one that you guys said back to you that I don't think should be lost. Don't use it if you don't want to. But that thing you said about open source and transparency is a game changer for HR. Going from the black box to I'm sharing within my industry and across industries. That's a modern people leader. Like that's yes. mind-blowingly different than it used to be before. I love this. You guys, yeah. TW and, and stamp of approval. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Damn. Um, and, and, you know, I... We try to focus on the data, what others have shared with us, not just Daniel and Steven's ideas. But, you know, there is something that I, I think should, sh you know, from a place of observation, uh, speaking to CHROs, people leaders every single week, sometimes multiple a week, you also need to be resilient. If you want to be successful over, over the long run, you're going to have to be resilient because someone's going to take your cheese. You're the rug is definitely going to be pulled from underneath you yes. and you're going to have to pick yourself back up time and time again. It's going to be relentless and um, you know, the job will change. 
sometimes before you even start the job. Um, and so I think there is some resiliency that is really embedded in some of these things that we're hearing, the characteristics we're hearing from others that I think is important to, to call out as well. Yes. I actually, a quick story on that. I was having a conversation with the Comcast senior vice president yesterday, and we we're talking about some upcoming events that we might help them with. But she goes, Nate, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? And I go, we were absolutely going to be in more disruption. No question, 100%. And she goes, we just got out of our huge planning meeting for the entire West Division. And we all agreed 2024 is going to be just as much disruption. And so that goes right to your point about resiliency. I mean, any good leader is planning for that, like proactively saying, I know more is coming. I don't have to make it wrong. I've just got to be resilient. I'm going to take you two into one other question about this because it's so rich. There's so much goodness coming out of this. Empathetic, business acumen, flexibility, storytelling, open source or transparency, and resilience are the things we just talked about. That profile of a modern people leader is vastly different from a a lot of what we see out there. So the question is, how do HR leaders start to have that conversation and take intelligent risk, have the courage to even try to become that. How do they do that and meet this brave new workplace? So I don't know if we touched on this in your first question, but you know something else that we've noticed is that people leaders are approaching their job as they're approaching the people function as like a product function almost. Like, you know, if you if you think about the company having three products, so you have you know, the, the product that you're selling to shareholders, you have the product that you're selling to consumers, and then you have the product that you're selling to employees. So one of the products HR is responsible for. So if, if you're approaching HR like that, and, you know, you're taking an agile approach to everything that you're doing, you probably have a culture of testing. You probably have a culture where you're gathering a lot of feedback, and then you're iterating over time based off of those results. So, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Let's say that your company wants to test out the four-day work week, which I think would be an intelligent risk. You can do that. You can test that out. You can tell everybody, hey, we're going to do a three-month pilot. Hey, we're going to do a six-month pilot of a four-day work week. Here's how we're going to measure success of this experiment. And if, if we don't have success, then we might go back to the way we were working before. If we have some success, we want more feedback. Like, how can we prove this going forward? And I think that if if more HR leaders approach their work that way, they'd be way more effective because you're setting clear expectations, you have clear measures for whether you know something's working or not, and uh, if you're if you're a good storyteller and you're good at communicating all of this to your employees, you're bringing them along with you on on that journey. Let's stay on this with a little bit of a twist on the question. So this idea of upskilling is a really big deal. Development and retention is a hot conversation. A talent war is absolutely in place because of this new technology called generative AI. And everybody's kind of going, oh man, we have got some serious upskilling to do. Uh, The World Economic Forum said years ago, a billion people needed to upskill. And now you throw generative AI in the pot and everybody's kind of stepping back on, okay, seriously, how do we do this? Now, my question is, how do you see HR and learning and development partnering? to make this happen in the flow of work, like Josh Burson loves to say, in the context of disruption. It's all happening at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think of uh, one of our sponsors, actually. So we've partnered with a company that's called Learnerbly. 
And the way that they approach learning and development is different from what I've seen anywhere else. They've essentially created a library of a thousand plus resources. So they have they have like physical books that you can you can you can read. They have audiobooks, they have Udemy courses, they have blogs. Like they've literally like compiled the best resources for every single topic. And I think that the power in that is that it gives people more flexibility. I think when you tell somebody, hey, here's what you have to learn and here's how you have to learn it, some people may not may not learn best from a book. Some people may not learn best from an online course. So just giving people the option to do that, I think is really powerful. Another thing that companies like Learnably do is they make it more social. So similar to like, you know, a Strava for for running, where you can see, you know, that your friend went on a, a 10 mile run. Um, you can do the same thing for learning, like make it social, make it to where if me and Steven are on the same finance team and I see that Steven's taking a course on generative AI and I can see that in the platform, I'm going to, I'm going to slack Steven and be like, Hey, what'd you think about that course? Should I take it? And he's like, Oh yeah. Like I've learned so much. I've already created like 15 templates in, in chat GPT. Like that's the type of learning that I think more companies need to encourage. And I think there are some tools out there that do that. And then the last thing that I would say is more internal mobility. So one of my favorite episodes of the podcast was with Brandon Samet from Zapier. And they, they went through um, some hard times. Like they, they hit a point where they had to make a decision. Do we lay off a lot of the people on our people team or do we redeploy them throughout the company? So uh, they, they had a secondment program where they placed them in different areas of the business depending on the skill sets that they had. Not only do they have their secondment program, but in addition to that, they have a pretty sick internal mobility program just like as a whole. So they have three like core skill sets that they really value within the business. I think it's uh, software engineering, agile, and then I'm forgetting the third one. But basically, if you're a Zapier employee, you have a portal where you can find resources to upskill yourself on whatever it is Zapier is prioritizing at the moment. You can start taking those courses, which at Zapier are built by other Zapier employees. So let's say they're trying to prioritize ChatGPT or generative AI. Maybe that's one of their core skill sets for 2024. And the internal expert at Zapier is putting together like their own course for like how they're they're doing things in in, in ChatGPT. And then once somebody has upskilled themselves on that skill set, they can start applying to internal jobs that are open. So I think just giving people different opportunities goes a long way. That's good. Yeah. Just to, to add on to what Daniel said, I, I feel like generative AI and you know, L&D are ripe for disruption. L&D, I, I feel like has been ripe for disruption. Like, yeah. I think we're going to have to think out, outside of the box. Um, and I, I'm conflicted by, by the question and AI and what it will mean um, in the workplace. Uh, and I, I think that for me, the answer that, that we, we've got to find a way of incentivizing people to learn this new technology in a yes. way that doesn't feel yucky or doesn't feel yes. like, you know, at a cost to the way we used to work or the, the people that we used to work with because jobs will be made redundant. You know, I, I go back to a conversation I had with, with a friend of mine that, that is in a, a very important function. I'm going to try to keep it anonymous. And they had, 
you know, hundreds of contractors in the Philippines and other locations that are literally manually crunching data, getting data into, um, into the analytics, the data warehouses, the data lakes, and then, then they can, you know, the leadership teams can prepare their, their reporting for the executives. They don't need those employees anymore. But like, what do you do? Do you just lay off a whole team? Like, how is that, you know, how are you going to transform that function? And so I feel like we need to reposition um, generative AI in a way that's like, hey, this is a technology everyone needs to learn. And, you know, we, you know we're going to give you a spot bonus for, for being able to improve, you know, the function by using this technology. Or I, I don't know, I, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but we've got to find a way to... Uh, to, to uh, prepare ourselves because because it, it's coming and uh, and you can either ha- handle this this transition in a in an inhumane way in a way that is not reflective of a modern people leader or you can use some of the things that we talked about earlier and and do it in a way that, that it's going to be it's going to fit within your culture and, and who you are Stephen, I think we should I think we should partner I'm dead serious on this Alex and I one of the big pieces of content that we work on is how do you thoughtfully bring generative AI into your organization in a way that fosters the culture, brings psychological safety, and creates a culture of experimentation. Modern yes. people leader plus what we're doing. Yeah. Like you're, I, I'm seeing let's something do it. here. Yeah, I love everything you were just saying, Stephen. And uh, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. And this is not something that you can ignore, right? This would be like yeah. ignoring the internet. You know, that's, yeah, yeah. And, and, that's a and great can, way of putting it. Yeah, and and there are some who would argue this is even bigger than the internet, and and we may just feel that way ten years from now. I mean, the jury's out; it's still early days. Now, let's let's so so we were talking about how do you think about learning AI? We're talking about some of the fear that people have around AI and being redundant. AI is transforming everybody's roles, and it's certainly transforming the role and the function within HR. And we talked to Alexandra Levitt about this. She's the future work columnist for the Wall Street Journal. And she was saying, look, you know, in five years, do I think ChatGPT can write my column? Yes. Is it still going to need me to oversee that and, and um, be a part of that in some way, shape or form? Absolutely. So I think the first thing I want to call out to everybody listening is the importance of understanding what the technology can do and being aware of where it's going and thinking about what is that symbiosis between you and the future of generative AI going to look like in your domain or role. And specific to HR, you know, we were talking about how generative AI can reimagine talent pools, uh, do personalized outreach to candidates, assess candidate skills more effectively, predict HR trends, and even write, you know, better job requirements. And the use cases are continuing to explode. There's a stat from Gartner uh, last year, I think they said that 53% of HR leaders are looking at use cases and opportunities with generative AI. I think that number is probably pretty low. I think 53% sounds low to me. So you guys talk to HR leaders all day long. What is your sense of how they're adopting generative AI and AI-powered HR tech for their domain and function? Where is that today? Well, before, before I answer that question, I just want to like walk listeners through what Stephen and I's journey has looked like with, with ChatGPT and generative AI. So if you go back to the beginning of 2023, neither of us, I mean, maybe we had heard of generative AI, we had no experience with it. And then, you know, a couple of months goes by, we see everybody's talking about ChatGPT and Dolly. 
And I think I sign up for an account. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. It kind of mm-hmm. sits there for a couple of months. We don't do anything with it. And then about like maybe May, June, July is when we both started really experimenting with ChatGPT. So for me, you know, if, if we're going to get out the amount of content that we're getting out on a weekly basis, I either needed some help in the form of uh, somebody helping us with these tasks, or I needed to find a more efficient way of doing it. And um, so far, we've just found more efficient ways of doing the things that we were doing. So for example, every episode of The Modern People Leader, we're putting out you know, three video clips. And with each video clip, we're, we're posting that to social. And each of those social posts is going to have a long form text post that goes along with it. So before we were trying to do the work of summarizing that, that video clip and then presenting it in a compelling way on LinkedIn. Now with ChatGPT, we figured out, okay, ChatGPT, help us summarize this. ChatGPT, uh, here's my first draft of the post. How does this look? How can we improve it? That's probably saved me, I don't know, three or four hours a week. That's just one thing. Steven you know. figured out how, how to do the same thing with on the SEO side. So like, if we're going to write a blog, how do I take a transcript from an episode and turn that into a blog post on a specific keyword that we're targeting? And these are just two of the use cases at the Modern People Leader. And I feel like we're just like scratching the surface. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to like preface, you know, how HR is adopting generative AI first. But, you know, this is something that we're talking about almost every single week on the podcast. Um, it feels like there's a sense of urgency. And, you know, I, I don't know if this is it's definitely not the right step, but it feels like 99% of HR leaders are trying to figure out how do I use this? But only a small percentage of them are actually using AI in their daily workflow. So like the Roz, uh, the Roz's from, from Zillow, who's their VP of talent acquisition, she says that she spends like eight to 10 hours a week in ChatGPT, um, mm-hmm. you know, from everything uh, from, you know, writing job descriptions to writing bedtime stories for her kid. Like mm-hmm. she's really finding some creative ways of doing it. And I think like, if there's one thing that's certain for 2024 through 2030, it's that there's going to be another, another revolutionary software or technology that comes out in addition to ChatGPT. So if you can't even figure out generative AI, think about how far behind you're going to be in four or five years when the next big thing drops. So yeah. I think it's almost like learning how to learn these new technologies as they come out. So whether it's You've got to make a habit of it. Exactly. Yeah. The, the thing I'll add for uh, everyone listening, when you're thinking about generative AI, you need to think about it right now in three buckets, which is assistant, thought partner, and creative partner. So how can it assist me? How can it be my strategist? And how can it help me create? And whenever you're doing anything that may feel redundant or that's you know part of your day-to-day workflow that comes up again and again and again, think about could I be using generative AI for this? And if you're not thinking about that, you're probably wasting time. Okay, I have a, one last question on this. And we're gonna, after this question, we're going to go into a speed round. And the question is about a big jump. Let's jump all the way to the end of the decade. Let's talk about moving into 2030. So last December, SHRM, the Society of Human Resource Management, wrote an article titled, What Will HR Look Like in 2030? Major themes were... Boomers are largely gone from the workforce. The values have shifted dramatically. Where we work and how we work, that network of places has shifted dramatically. Digital fluency will be table stakes. And AI and robots will be doing a lot more of the work. 
Now, we agree because all of that stuff's already happening now. We want to get your take. Do you think that's the future we're going to see six years from now? So I find this very Sherm like <laughs> this, 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 and, and I'm, I'm saying this so I can focus on giving you the answer. Uh, you know, I, I agree with Sherm that things are going to look very different in 2030. You know, I feel like boomers leaving the workforce, that's like stating the obvious, like, <laughs> and, and maybe not though, because they're hanging on, man. Who, who would have yeah. thought the boomers would be hanging on for this long? But, um, but um, you know, look, I think that we still don't know where this battle between uh, remote and, and office work is going to land. I, I think that is still a big question that there's not a lot of clarity on, you know, and, and there's larger macroeconomic challenges there as well. Like, what are all these cities going to do if, you know, remote wins? And, and so there are all these factors at play, but I'm going to set that aside because I think that is a lingering challenge um, that companies are still facing and talking about. And I think we're, we, we need to move on from that challenge and that conversation. And I think that the I'll start with number four. I do believe that number four will absolutely hold true for the reasons we just talked about. There literally is a way for this to happen today. If AI you as a robots. people leader, yeah, yeah, you, yeah there, this can happen today if you are so well. If your IT and infosec people will allow you to do the things that that you need to do, um, I, I do think that digital fluency and savvy will be table stakes. Um, and I, I don't think, you know, I don't think the emphasis is on a, you know, full digital plus employee experience. I think that, you know, the digital fluency is going to allow us to continue working in ways that, you know, we haven't worked in the past. And I think that things like the four day work week or asynchronous work, those trends are going to continue if, you know, again, leaving behind the are we in office or not conversation? I think those things are, you know, are going to totally transform, um, you know, the way that we work, the way that the work gets done. And I think that we're going to see, you know, different labor pools. And I've described this as before as like, you know, a, a, a dual labor economy where you have like these in office type businesses and companies that are catering to in office. And I think over time, the pool of those businesses will get smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the pool of digital or remote businesses will get larger and larger and larger. It for me, you know, and, and, and a lot of what's driving that is going to be the, um, you know, how more connected, you know, the, that we, everything becomes because through technology and, you know, the, the, the secret sauces, you know, in generative AI and what that really allows us to unlock. And so, you know, I think I, I agree with that. I think, you know, some things that, um, you know, Sherm, you know, can't publish um, that I would say is that we, in 2030, I would not be surprised if, you know, I won't say the majority, but equal number of people, leaders that are not HR, do not have an HR background as those, you know, it's 50-50 with those that do have an HR background. And I think the, um, and, and Sherm can't say that because they want to promote you know, the traditional HR paths. But I think we are going to see you know, more and more people being like, wait a second, 
it's just not working the way I think it, you know, it could, it could be better. And I want to be part of that journey to make HR better. Um, and so that, that's one thing that's not on their list that I would, I would add. Steven spitting fire over here. Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess one thing that, that, that I would add just like on the question of how can HR help close the, the gap to this brave new future. So if we think of remote work or even generative AI, and I'm going to use an analogy that somebody used on our shows, Sile from, uh, is it MetaView, Stephen? Am I getting that MetaView, right? I want to yep. make sure I'm... Yep. So he, he talked about how back when they went from uh, factories being steam-powered to electric-powered, it was this huge immediate boost in productivity because you could leave the factories on all night. But initially, all they did was replace the steam engine with an electric engine in the middle of the factory. It wasn't until years later that they figured out how to like completely reconfigure the factory floor so that now you can have 10 factories running at the same time all night. And I, I think the same goes with like remote work or generative AI. They're both technologies that have given us this immediate boost, but we still haven't figured out how to reconfigure the factory floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the good news for HR people is that to get us there, to close that gap, we're going to need actual humans figuring it out. So if you're in HR, which is a very people-centric function, I mean, it's literally human resources, there's always going to be a need for that. And I think to close the gap, all HR teams need to have more of a product focus because what worked 10 years ago doesn't work today. And what works today is not going to work in 10 years. So if you're constantly tweaking and testing and experimenting, you're going to figure out how to reconfigure that, that factory floor for your business. And it's going to look different for every business. But yeah, I think we have a long way to go. And I think that every year or two, <laughs> more changes are going to have to be made. Yeah, that's the experimentation thing you guys have been talking about. And it literally is vital. It's the foundational th- engine that's going to pump out these changes. Let's do a speed round. You guys have 60 seconds. Alex and I don't care who answers. You've been dis- discussing podcasting for three years, 155 episodes. And that's a lot of time and focus on one area. What keeps you passionate about this topic called HR? Wow. I, you know, I think what keeps me passionate is the responses that we get from our guests. And I know that's not passionate about HR. That's passionate about podcasting. You know, at this point for me, I've, my career has been in HR, so I'm like, I'm pot committed on HR. But what keeps me podcasting about, you know, people matters is hearing what, you know, the, the LinkedIn message, like, hey, like that episode was awesome. Like you totally have changed my mind on this thing or that thing. That is really the impact I, th- I think is what keeps me excited. Guys, what is the number one challenge HR leaders are facing today? You can only pick one. I mean, we have to go with the data that we've collected. And based off of the uh, off-the-record interviews that we've, that we've conducted, it feels like that business savvy, like that's the, the number one problem. Like making sure that the HR function as a whole catches up to uh, finance and marketing and sales and being a part of the conversation, contributing to that conversation and understanding what's going on in every aspect of the business and like being able to speak to the numbers. And more specific to the challenges, how do you find time to execute HR, but also learn about the business? Like that is kind of a conundrum in itself. Gentlemen, 
you created this thing called MPL. What is the gift that you're giving back? And what do you hope your impact will be to HR? Stephen, what's our mission? To, uh, to improve the lives of 10 million um, employees by, was it 2030? I can't remember what date we said. 2030. That's, that's the mission. And we, we feel like we're well positioned to do so through the podcast. So if you think of the podcast as a way of you know, open sourcing all of the best in class people practices, like that's what we want to do. So the more people leaders that are listening to our show, I think, you know, the more going to implement the things that we're talking about and the happier people are going to be. Last one, guys, what is in store for you as you crush 2024? What is in store for NPL this year? Without giving all the details away, because it's still not finalized, but creating a product that helps with this problem that we've talked a lot about today, um, which is, you know, HR leaders face this conundrum. Like they have to be HR leaders and do all the HR things, but also they need to understand the business better. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to leave it a bit vague, but in 2024, there's going to be a product that helps solve that problem. I love it. I love it. Daniel, Steven, thank you. We are so grateful we found you. We love what you're doing with Modern Peak Leader, that you've codified this conversation around the difference between a traditional leader and a modern peak leader, and you're taking it to that next level, giving it back to us as a product, and that you're making work better for everyone. We're so passionate about the future work, and the work that you guys are doing is deeply woven into the work that we're doing. So we think it's a a beautiful relationship, and we're really glad that you're here. We want to amplify your message like a megaphone to everybody we can through our podcast. And we're looking forward to working together more 2024. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. And uh, we are, yeah, the feelings are mutual. Guys, yeah, what Steven said. Guys, where's the best place for people to find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn or our website. You can go to modernpeopleleader.com and you can find both of us on LinkedIn. So I'm Daniel and he's Steven and we're both what at us. So should be pretty easy to find. H-U-E-R-T-A. Yeah, that's right. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this journey. In a world where attention is scarce and content is abundant, it means a lot. To learn more about this episode, go to disruptedwork.com forward slash podcast to find show notes, guest details, and connect with us. The best way you can support the show is to follow us wherever you listen and subscribe to our YouTube channel. To help others in the future of work, spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast and sharing your favorite episodes with those you care about. Remember, disruption is a gift.